We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're brought to you by the Blue Iron Network. We're brought to you by betonline.ag. A lot of cool stuff popping with Blue Wire. We added Greg Olson to the team. Greg Olson is going to be hosting a yeah. podcast called TE1. Our boy G Rag from the Seventh Floor Crew, <laughs> former Bears standout. Uh, he's doing a really cool podcast where he's going to talk about the art of playing tight end with other really good tight ends. He has Dicka on the podcast. That's one of the guests that's apparently lined up. He's got uh, Ozzie Newsome. So there was a write-up on it today in the Washington Post. Really exciting news for Blue Wire. I always loved Greg Olson on the Bears. I was a big fan of him in Miami, too, back in the day. If you're as old as we are, you remember Greg Olson as a college player. So that's really excellent. Uh, Blue Wire also has a soccer podcast coming called Golden Goal. Uh, that'll be rolling out soon. That's Blue Wire original, so that's fun. Uh, I'm Ricky. I'm here with Jason. We are going to talk about Wendell Carter and Kobe White as we continue our look at the Bulls' core on this podcast. Uh, Jason, how you doing, man? 
Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, before we uh, get into our reviews of Wendell and Kobe, which will be lovely. Uh, of course, this is the 10-year anniversary. I mean, it's been so damn long uh, of the decision with the big three forming in Miami. And this is sadly, or unfortunately, or some of it's also kind of funny, just reading some of this bull stuff. Just, we've been getting some stories out. Uh, there was this, The ESPN did the whole backstory thing on Sunday. I unfortunately did not watch that. But along with that, we've just been getting more just kind of stories about how the big three came together in Miami. And of course, that also means we've gotten stories about how the Bulls came up just short. I remember back in 2010, so that was like my senior year of college, being super excited about the possibility. We heard rumors about how close things got to... If not all three, I know the Bulls had some issues with cap space and they would have had to trade Luol Dang and all that, but possibly getting two of the guys, whether it was Bosch, whether it was LeBron, whether Bosch, LeBron, Wade, basically two of those guys or possibly all three, whatever. Just some stories have been coming about how close we were. We heard Nick Ferdell say today that he says that Chris Bosch gave the Bulls a verbal agreement at some point and then he basically, and then he probably went to that Pat Riley meeting, Pat Riley dropped his rings on the table and that was that. Uh, there was also a, again, painful but also kind of funny anecdote from Brian Windhorst wrote up this whole thing on ESPN three, three days in July about this whole situation, about all the, the pitch meetings and all that. We know the Bulls delivered pitches to all these guys, and I believe this was for LeBron's meeting that the Bulls went, I believe it was last, it was, it says, the Bulls went last, it was a Saturday afternoon of a holiday weekend, and their group had forgotten to book a car from the hotel. They arrived at the IMG building in taxis, but didn't know to enter through the garage, so they were stuck waiting on the street with the door locked. Uh, that just sounds about perfect for the Bulls and the, uh, their former front office. I believe there was a story back when I think Wade signed in 2016 uh, about how like there was something there was issues with flights and all that. So just painful memories of the Bulls coming so close but failing to get either one or two or all three of those guys. Uh, so I, I remember being so excited thinking that it was going to happen because I think there was some reporting out there that they were very close. And I mean, they've all kind of confirmed it and this, this new stuff has kind of confirmed it, but obviously, uh, that did not happen. They won, wound up in Miami and the bulls and he kind of became rivals. Obviously Derek Rose's injury kind of screwed that whole thing up. But, uh, do you have any thoughts about any of the stuff we've seen here about this, this stuff with the decision? Uh, before we move on to Weddle and Kobe. Just like imagine the scene where Pat Riley takes all of his championship rings and lays them on the table and Gar Foreman is locked outside in a taxi, not sure how to enter the building while LeBron is waiting inside. Oh, God. I mean, just absolute classic Gar Packs era incompetence. Really, they should have been fired right on the spot. Like, <laughs> if you're in pole position potentially to land those guys and you just come totally unprepared probably because you were trying to save like 50 bucks on a, on a <laughs> rental car, on a plane ticket, whatever it is. I mean, just peak bulls, peak incompetence. Thank God that's finally over. But Jesus, how did it last so long in terms of the Garpax era? Uh, hey, also, Gar what Foreman, I was going to say Gar Foreman won a one executive of the year with Riley that year. So uh, who he got the, getting the last laugh there. Not really. Obviously. Nope. Oh boy. And then, uh, <laughs> One other piece of former Bulls news I wanted to mention. How about Nikola Mirotic winning oh, yeah. MVP of the Spanish League, the Spanish ACB League? It's the Big second one. time he's won it. He also won it in 2013 before he came to the Bulls. Uh, he came to the Bulls the next season. That's when he was with Real Madrid. This year, he, of course, 
decided to play for FC Barcelona instead of getting an NBA contract, which I'm sure he could have gotten from someone. There were rumors Uh, out there. He had a big offer, I think. A decently sized offer. Miritich, still 29 years old. He put up 20 points and six rebounds per game this year for Spain. Uh, And now a two-time winner of the MVP award in the Spanish League. That's pretty dope. So uh, shout out to Nicola Miritich, who is living a better life than uh, anyone who's ever listened to this podcast. (laughs) And I would say 99.999% of the world absolutely uh other bit of news or i guess non-news is jim boyle and still head coach of the chicago bulls very unfortunate uh but let's talk about wendell carter and kobe white let's start with let's start with wendell carter here uh i know you're a big wendell carter jr guy uh we've talked him up just love him for the the versatility that he can bring that he allegedly can bring his defense um and he had i would call I would as a decent year. Obviously, the Bulls did have their moments on the defensive end, and they were ranked like top three at one point or something like that. And I think part of that had to do with him. And when the Bulls, when Carter ended up getting hurt and injuries having an issue for him this year, we saw the defense kind of fall off a cliff. Part of that was just because they started actually playing good teams. But I mean, Carter has proven to be at least a very capable man in the middle as a five. Um, he's not he, his blocks. He's not like a prolific shot blocker. I think part of that probably is. Uh, because of the scheme and the blitzing and all that kind of stuff. So not always in position for blocks, but he's a smart player. He's not the most athletic guy, but he's long. I think his wingspan's like 7'4". So we've seen him. He can be a solid defensive hub. We just have not seen really any of the development on the offensive end. And for him to be we, – we've talked about the Al Horford, Al Horford comp. Uh, to reach that kind of level, especially offensively, like we need to see more, the more shooting. We need to see the playmaking. And that's just something that he has not – really been put in a position to do. Uh, he took the both both uh, his first two seasons under one three-point attempt per game. We saw times this year where even mid-range shots, the defenses would sag way off him. He wouldn't even look at the basket. And you wonder, like, how much is that? Is him? How much is that the coaching staff drilling that into him? I know that was something we kind of asked him, or people, I, I think you might have asked him. I asked him about three-pointers at the Rising Stars the game. I mean, I think he knows it, and I think he wants to do more of it. It's just something we have not seen. He's not had success with the jumpers. Uh, he doesn't shoot them very often. So, obviously, year three will be a big one for him. Moving forward, he'll need to stay healthy. Again, we'll like kind of Larry Markin as well, and we'll talk about their fit a bit in the future. He needs to stay on the court. Um, what did you make of Wendell Carter's second season in the league, Ricky? Yeah, I think disappointing. Uh, and you can start with him being misused. We'll get more into that later, but... I mean, Jesus, man, the Bulls are just not doing Wendell any favors on the offensive end, on the defensive end. I mean, they they could it's almost like they're trying as hard as they can to put this guy in the worst possible position to succeed. The conspiracy theory conspiracy theorist in me thinks that they just want to like keep his second contract low. So they're going (laughs) to do everything they can to sabotage his career up to this point. But you know, what Wendell has to do more than anything else is just stay on the floor. Last year, played 44 games. This year, 43 games. Uh, in January, he suffered a really long ankle injury. He did come back towards the end of the season after the All-Star break for the last few games of the year. But uh, he missed, you know, a significant portion of the schedule again. And uh, he just needs to stay durable. I mean, we talk about this. Every single year with the Bulls, it feels like, whether it's the old core with Noah and Lou Aldang and D-Rose or the new core with Lowry and Wendell 
and everyone else, uh, the Bulls just never stay healthy. So for Wendell Carter to really hit his peak, he has to be able to stay healthy. And, uh, you know, I got some numbers pulled up here comparing Wendell to Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo, were they taken in the same draft? I I should be. Uh, This would be Bam's third year, I believe. Yeah. Or uh, no, no. So this is Carter's second year. So Adebayo was taking one year on him. Yeah. Adebayo was taken the same year as Markkinen. So yeah, yeah. Adebayo yes. entered the league one year sooner. Adebayo and Wendell, both McDonald's All-Americans. Adebayo went to Kentucky. Wendell went to Duke. I would say that both of them are sort of fashioned as undersized centers in today's NBA that are able to play the position because they have length. I believe that Adebayo is another guy with like a 7'3", 7'4", wingspan. Uh, Him and Wendell, I think, have like pretty similar measurements in terms of height and weight. But Adebayo is the guy who became an all-star this year in the second season. Uh, Wendell just sort of third season. I'm sorry. Wendell just sort of stagnated. And if you're like ranking the best young big man in the NBA, you know, once you get past Jokic and Embiid, I think Adebayo is probably the best center prospect. I mean, you know, maybe a little after Towns, too. But like of the young centers, he was one of the guys who really took a gigantic leap forward uh just in his overall progress this year like one of the biggest breakthrough players breakout players in the nba this year bam Adebayo, and we're hoping that wendell can take a similar jump uh looking at their numbers head to head there's a couple things that stand out to me the first thing i'm going to say in a positive light is the defensive rating Wendell had a defensive rating that was two and a half points better than Bam Adebayo. Now, obviously, like individual defensive rating is yeah. everything, Tough. but yeah. Wendell's really good defensively. I mean, that passes the eye test, too. He isn't someone who dominates because he's super fast or super big. I think he's good just because he's smart and he's able to yeah. read the floor and he knows where to be and he knows where the next rotation's coming. And, you know, we always think of the point guard is sort of the quarterback of the offense. In a lot of ways, the center has become the point guard of the defense in the modern NBA. And intelligence is a big, big skill for the last line of your defense at the center position. I think Wendell is a really smart guy. I mean, anyone who followed his rise before he came to the Bulls, he was someone who like almost committed to Harvard out of high school. He was always built up as just a really intelligent guy. He certainly seemed that way in his two years in Chicago. So I think that, you know, Wendell may even have an edge on Adebayo defensively, and that is without being used to his strengths. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about this when we kick it to you, Jason. But just in terms of, you know, Boylan's blitz the pick and roll defense, how that didn't really fit Wendell. He should be a little more comfortable in a drop back defense, uh, a little bit more conservative of a scheme where he's not like selling out to get steals. But with all that being said, Wendell had a, a pretty good defensive year, I think, in his second season. Looks like he could potentially be the anchor of a good defense uh, as his career continues to go on. So that's good. But here's the number that really jumps out to me, Jason, and then you could take it from here. Assist percentage. Yes. I never absolutely. considered Bam Adebayo to be an impressive passing prospect for a center when he was coming out of Kentucky. Wendell, I thought, had a lot of potential to be a really impactful passer out of the center position. Here is 
the numbers. Assist percentage, Bam Adebayo, 23.2. Wendell Carter, 6.2. And that speaks to, I think, first and foremost, the head coaches. Adebayo has been lucky enough to be coached by one of the league's very best in Eric Spolstra, where Boylan has been, where Carter has been coached by Krusty the Clown, basically, (laughs) Jim Boylan. Uh, And, you know, I think that that is a big reason why his development in that area has stagnated. Uh, I would love to see Wendell used as the hub of the offense more often. I would love to see the Bulls put the ball in his hands and let him make decisions because, honestly, I think he might be the best decision maker on the team in terms of what to do with the basketball when he has it in his hands. Uh, Just comparing, you know, two young players at similar points of their career, uh, I would love to see Wendell obviously take a step up like Bam Adebayo in his third season. I think Bam definitely a more explosive athlete, and that's an yeah. area where Wendell struggles. Wendell is not going to, uh, you know, po- do a power dunk from a standstill the way that Adebayo can. Uh, but their games do have some similarities in terms of size, in terms of pedigree, in terms of age. And you just hope that the, you know, the playing fields can be leveled a little bit by Wendell actually getting with a real coach and actually being coached to his strengths a little more often in year three and going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely a fair comparison, like that with a real coach maybe being used more often that we could see a Bam out of iOS jump in year three. I don't know. I think that's crazy. Like, I don't know, like five assists per game. And like you mentioned that huge assist percentage, like that's pretty big, but like, I mean, if he's actually uses a hub of the offense and using him with like dribble handoffs and and that kind of stuff, like him and like Zach Levine, like more two man game, that kind of stuff. And I think Carter's got more skills as a shooter. Obviously, again, we have not really seen that yet. His three point shooting, he hasn't really done it. His three point percentage is terrible, but like he's a good free throw shooter. So like, and I feel like he should be a better outside. Sh- I mean, he was a good three point shooter at Duke. Obviously, the volume was not high, but I think he was around forty percent. So I mean. Again, like, yeah, I think the tools and skills are there for him to be that kind of player. Just a matter of the coaching and his own development as well. Obviously, again, I don't want to put it all on the coaching, but I mean, yeah, you just, I think that's actually a pretty good comparison. I didn't even think about that because it is kind of, it was kind of jarring to see that. I was, when I just Googled out of bio stats, like the five assists per game, and we saw Wendell, and you mentioned his assists went down this year. His assists, his assist percentage went down. Like, it got even, it was pretty low to begin with, and it just went down this year to like minuscule levels, which is just, Again, just yeah, the speaks to the misuse of him and just the kind of the misuse, I feel like, of the whole roster. Um, before we talk about Carter's fit with Larry Markin, which I think is a big part just of Bulls in their in their future, let's take a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on in our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. If you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Are you looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. So visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, we're back. Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. As I mentioned before, going into the break here, the fit with Lowry Markkinen. Uh, theoretically, uh, I guess, first of all, the performance on the court together, I looked up some numbers. I mean, it was, it was decent. I mean, obviously the Bulls were not a good team. They they almost broke even together on the court. But that was basically mostly based on the defense being pretty solid. They played 856 minutes together this past season. 
negative 0.5 net rating, 104.9 O rating, 105.4 D rating. So that O rating is still terrible. Obviously, the Bulls offense was bad. The D rating is actually really solid. I think Again, I think a lot of that, you can probably thank Carter for that. Chris Dunn, obviously, as well. But the, the fit with him and Laurie Markkinen, it se- Larry Markin, it seems like it should be pretty good. They both seem like they're both skilled guys. They both theoretically can shoot, uh, do some – obviously, Carter, we've talked about his playmaking. Markin, we talked last week about how you want to see him do a bit more with the ball in his hands and playmaking and pick-and-roll stuff. So, theoretically, offensively, they should be a pretty dynamic duo. Defensively, Carter, as we've talked about his defense, Markin's not the best defender. Uh, but, I mean, clearly they, they've done decently well defensively on the court together. Um I guess, do you think they are a viable, in this NBA, do you think they are a viable pairing moving forward? I've seen some people talk about Carter. They think Carter's more of a power forward. Do you think the Bulls will ultimately have to kind of choose between one of them and move forward? What do you think on that front? Yeah, I think that they might be in a position where they have to make a choice between them. But, you know, the first thing you need, and I feel like we literally say this at the end of every disappointing (laughs) season, is like, we just need to see them on the floor more together. We didn't get a chance to see them play that much together because of the injuries and then the abbreviated season at the end. Uh, So we don't have a true read on this yet. I would say right now, if I'm approaching the Bulls from a team building perspective, I would say they have nothing. Right. Like I would say the entire organization should be up for grabs and should be, you know, available in trade talks. If I was going to protect one guy on the team, I would protect Wendell Carter. The only thing that gives me pause with that is that centers kind of a dime a dozen, especially if they're not going to shoot threes and they're not going to be high level passers. Now, the reason I thought Wendell Carter was a good pick at seven back in the day was because I actually thought he had some skill as a shooter an outside shooter. And as a passer, he has not tapped into that. He has, however, played up to the scouting report defensively where he looks like he can be an anchor defensively, but uh, you know, his offensive skills right now are just sort of like a dime a dozen in terms of what he's shown in the league thus far. So, you know, center is probably the easiest position to acquire as everyone else downsizes. Uh, I would still want to keep Carter and I would be more willing to move off Markinen. Markinen to me just sort of seems like uh, a tragic instance in Chicago of just like, I could see him putting it together somewhere else with better management, with better coaching. But the Bulls have just been such a clown show up to this point that, you know, you wonder if Markkinen's going to have to be one of those guys where he needs to leave to actually uh, reach his true peak. So can they work? I think it's possible they can. Am I optimistic that they are going to be the long term front court pairing for the Bulls well into the future? No. I'm really not, especially when you factor in that we have new management this year. They're going to want to get a fresh evaluation on everyone. They're going to want to, you know, put their guys uh, in certain positions. So I think that, you know, it's no guarantee that Wendell and Lowry are the front court together after this pet after this next upcoming season, whatever, six months from now when the Bulls finally play another game of basketball, uh, I would anticipate that they are the starting front court to begin next season, though, just because everything we've heard about Karnaschovas so far is that he really likes a patient approach. He's not going to fire Jim Boylan because he still wants to get to know him before he tells him he sucks. So 
I wouldn't expect like a quick move out of what you know the long term viability of the Carter Markin and pairing. Uh, for now, I would favor Carter, and I would say the Bulls are still kind of in a wait and see approach. Carter is also twenty one compared to Mark- Markin's twenty three. Obviously, he's got one year less on him. I feel like that has to play in the equation as well. Um, so I would probably lean towards Carter to keep. Like, if I had to pick the, between the two right now, I would also do probably do that. Something that uh, our guy Morton Jensen brought up. He DM'd me the other day after our marketing podcast, and we didn't really talk about this much. But he, he had an interesting thought just about how, like, he he said that instead of like centers being more dead, it's like more traditional fours. Like, if you want to consider Lowry Markin a more traditional four, uh, just because like. Carter and he and he thinks that doesn't bode well for Lowry just because like Carter doesn't really have like or not Carter Lowry doesn't really have like the guard wing skills and he's but he's not really like a rim protector either so he like can't really do much of either so like that it might be harder like I, you could probably that I guess it's just harder to build around a guy like Lowry and then maybe Carter at least he has that like defensive anchor ability I thought that was kind of interesting I think I think it just kind of goes to what we were just talking about how like we're not totally sure if those two like in this NBA like are the, if they're the best fit together like. Carter, like, with, and then if the Bulls had, like, two other more just, like, versatile wings, he brought up the Clippers with, like, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard kind of being more just, like, versatile wings, and then you have just a center there. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And just kind of, it just does, it does kind of play to just the Bulls, and I think we've talked about this before, just, like, how the Bulls, while a lot of the league is going smaller, the Bulls have this big, young front court of Lauren and Wendell, and while they theoretically seem like they could be good because of their skills, like, just really hasn't worked, and and that's not all their fault. And obviously, you mentioned the injuries and the coaching has been questionable. But uh, I feel like we we had a lot of high hopes, and I remember there were rumors last year about how like the Lowry and Wendell are like the only t- untouchables on this roster. But I think now at this point, like like you said, like with the new with the new management here, new front office, uh, if anyone should be up for grabs. I would Carter is probably still close to untouchable, but like if you if there's like some big trade that comes along, like. I mean, whatever. No, nobody should be off limits at this point. Yeah, dude, when it uh, comes down to it, I mean, are you going to blame the 21-year-old or are you going to blame the guys who uh, couldn't schedule a car to pick them up to meet <laughs> LeBron and then they get locked out at the garage? So, right. <laughs> yeah, like, obviously, it's not Carter's fault. Everyone around him is basically doing all they can to make him fail. Uh, you could probably say the same thing about Markinen too. So, uh... We'll see what happens. Hopefully with a new regime, like the entire culture of the team can start to change over because that's the most important thing. Hopefully Boylan can be fired before we do another podcast, because honestly, (laughs) this is kind of getting ridiculous. This is still hanging over the team. And, you know, Carter's one of the guys who I think stands to improve the most from a revamped front office and revamped coaching staff. We'll see how it actually works out. On that note, before we move on to Kobe White, uh, there was, I guess, another kind of news. There, there are some rumors that some teams that are part of this "quote unquote" delete eight that it will not be going to uh, Orlando. They, there's, there have been rumors for a while about like mid, summer minicamp, but that some teams like want to actually play games, televised games between these bum teams, and like absolutely not, like. Somebody has brought, a few people have brought up like, well, maybe you can like do a tournament for like the lottery. Like that'd be the only way that I could maybe get behind something like that. But like, I don't want to watch the Bulls play some of these other shit teams. Like, actually, screw that. And I'm like, I'm wondering if like, if they're waiting on the NBA to like make a decision with that before firing Boylan. I, I, it, it is starting to get weird. I told you, I, I've had patience. I thought it was okay that they wanted to do the whole in meeting thing. But like, 
like what are they waiting on like are they waiting on the nba to like make a decision with this delete eight crap like i like i don't know why you'd want boylan like coaching games with like bums playing against bums like it doesn't make any sense when there's all, all this data out there already it's, i don't get it but i mean we're still waiting well dude who else is gonna draw up an ato for adam makoko when they're down <laughs> really? 25 points in the last minute i mean your options are limited <laughs> at that point either let's let's go let's talk about kobe white who basically was one of the only reasons to watch the bulls at the end of the season he had quite a roller coaster rookie season. Uh, going back to all the way to the Summer League, he, he struggled with the shooting a bit in the Summer League, and we saw flashes at the beginning of his rookie season. He had some huge games. Uh, there was the Grizzlies game, they had a comeback where him and Zach Levine went off. There was obviously that Knicks game where he had seven threes in the fourth quarter. Uh, to basically, the Bulls were possibly going to lose again to the Knicks, and Kobe White saved them with the huge game. Uh, he had a great game the next game. That game that Zach Levine hit 13 three-pointers, Kobe also had like 28 or 30 points, something like that. So, like, he had some huge games there to start the year, but he was also mostly just bad. Like, if you just look at the numbers, like, you kind of forget, outside of those huge explosions and the end, his end of the season, kind of how bad he was throughout most of his rookie season, which was kind of, I think, what we what we expected. We expected him, young point guard who was kind of raw coming out of North Carolina, that he would have his moments that would be fun at times, and that he, but he would not be good. He would not impact winning. And that's basically what happened for most of the season. He was bad, and he did, he shot, his shot, shot was super streaky. I mean, defensively, not giving you much, not giving you much in terms of playmaking. So it's basically like if he's not shooting well from outside, if he's not hitting his crazy shots, he was awful, and that happened a lot. And then obviously everything basically changed right after the All-Star break. He absolutely caught fire. He was making and breaking bulls and NBA records. He hit th- three, three straight 30-point three, games, I think, in like seven or eight games before that hiatus, I think he hit like at least 19 points in all of those games. Uh, it's basically making history. Was, some of that was just unsustainable, crazy three-point shooting where I mean, he, just everything he was throwing up was basically going in. Obviously, that kind of stuff you can't rely on. But I, I think it did bring a lot of hope to Bulls fans in another terrible season that, oh, maybe this guy could be something. Because outside of the few hot hot games that he had, it was mostly not good. But when he went on this kind of consistent, sustained run of – him just getting buckets, uh, I think it brought a lot of hope. But I think also, I think we do have to be careful about putting too much stock into that, into some of that hot streak. Just uh, obviously, got, sometimes weird stuff happens in February. I mean, it was we saw that happen last February. We, we put a lot of hope in the, the February 2019 thing, and that did not work out well for us this year. So I think there's reason to be excited about what we saw from Kobe White. Uh, maybe that'll raise maybe what we think his ceiling is at least a little bit. That like. He and maybe even raises his floor. Maybe not his ceiling. Maybe it raises his floor a bit more. That we know this guy can get buckets in the NBA. Uh, not totally sure about his ceiling yet, but uh, what 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 were your take, main takeaways about uh, the Kobe White experience in his rookie season? Yeah, I would say that after one season, I'm anticipating that Kobe White's role ultimately is going to be as a microwave scorer and a bucket getter. Uh, if you're going to start a player like that, you're definitely going to need a really strong defensive infrastructure around him. I do not think that that means having him share the court with Zach Levine. So if Kobe's going to be a long-term building block in terms of the starting lineup, something's going to have to give there. Uh, or you could just, you know, have him as a bench guy and he can sort of be like your super Lou Williams, Monte Ellis type. Uh, Ellis definitely better at getting to the basket. And I think that that's a huge area of improvement for Kobe white. I'm not sure how he can go about, uh, you know, becoming a better finisher at the rim when he's always going to have short arms. 
he's so skinny. I guess maybe if he really beefs up in the lower body, he could become a little bit more explosive of a leaper. But, you know, we usually don't see guys totally reinvent themselves uh, in terms of their explosiveness after they reach the NBA. So to me, Kobe is mostly a guy who is going to jack up shots. And while that sort of sounds like a pejorative, he does really have a skill just in terms of getting shots off, uh, which is valuable in the NBA. And we saw that towards the end of his run uh, after the All-Star break. So after, you know, the first game after the All-Star break, the Bulls played Charlotte. Kobe had 12 points on 11 shots. That was kind of like a whatever game, right? But then after that, he drops 33 against Phoenix, 33 against Washington, 35 against Oklahoma City, 22 against the Knicks, 19 against Dallas, which was the Bulls' second win against a team above 500. Besides for that Clippers game that should come with the ultimate asterisk for a variety of different reasons, Kawhi out, late flight, all that. All right, game after that, Bulls play Minnesota. They lose, but Kobe is 26. Then Kobe drops 26 the next game on Indiana. He drops 21 on Brooklyn, 20 on Cleveland in the final game of the year. So Kobe was really getting cooking uh, towards the end of the year. Um, I think that a lot of Bulls fans have what I would call false hope that he is going to be the, you know, the heir apparent to D Rose and the star guard that's going to lead him. I don't know. I don't think so. But what I do <laughs> think is that he's going to, put up some numbers. He's going to win you some games. Occasionally he's going to be really fun to watch. And I think he'll, you know, I don't think he's going to look like a bad pick at number seven. When you take the long-term view of his career compared to everyone else's like, yes, there will definitely be guys who were picked after him who will be better than him. Brandon Clark is a guy who immediately comes to mind. Uh, not that the Bulls needed another center. We talked in apparently they had interest in him, but Jackson Hayes is someone who I think is going to be really interesting. Uh, you could go down the list of guys drafted after Kobe White, and I'm sure that there will be guys who end up with for sure more impactful careers just in terms of influencing winning. Uh, but I don't think Kobe was a bad pick, and I still think that Kobe can be a piece of a really good team. I just don't know if he's going to be a focal point. To that team and uh, because of that I think that the Bulls should view him less as like a long-term savior and more as like an asset to be leveraged however they want to like you know include him in a trade if you want to uh, or you know play around with his role to see you know do you ultimately want to make him a point guard? Is that something you want to do? Uh, do you want to make him a two? And then if you are making him a two, what kind of point guard do you want next to him? These are the questions the Bulls need to be asking themselves. I definitely think that he probably has among the highest trade value on the team because he is so young, because he can shoot, because he's pretty tall for a point guard. Uh, so he's, I think it was a good pick just in terms of getting an attractive asset now it's like, what are you going to do to maximize Kobe and make him his best self moving forward long term? Yeah, and those are definitely huge questions. And it, and you kind of mentioned just like, I mean, it's almost kind of like the Zach Levine thing. Like the guy gets buckets, and we've talked we talked about this last week when we were talk we kind of talked about their fit together. Like, just how much will this this kind of player impact winning? Both guys can get buckets. They can hit really tough shots. A lot of fun, and like that's a lot of fun to watch. And like together, both those guys. Chucking threes and like hitting ridiculous shots is fun. How much th- can, does that mean, or how much will that impact winning like long term? Like, 
and like winning big time. Like, can you win big time with those two together? It's like your top two, uh, like initiators of the offense. And I mean, I know like a lot of people were talking, like wanted to see Kobe White start early in the year to get more minutes with those two. I understood that, but I also thought it was fine keeping him in that reserve role and just kind of being that microwave scorer, especially as a rookie. We saw him, we did see him start one game. That Cavs game was his first start of the year. He had nine turnovers and that kind of, that kind of speaks to just some of the issues with him as a point guard. He's still learning the position. So like, are you good? Do you want to go full time into that next season? Will Kobe be the starting point guard next season? Will they maybe keep it in a bench role? I mean, we'll see what happens with Sadoransky. We'll see if they try to bring in somebody else. Uh, so that'll be curious. Like, I'm not totally sure. I, I, I guess I'd be fine. Like if they're going to use, Next season, as more again like experimentation for this roster, which it kind of seems like they're hinting at, maybe bringing a new coach. Obviously, that goes back to that, but maybe experimenting to see just what they have. Like, sure, just go out and start Kobe White and Zach Levine if they're going to keep those guys around, and just have Kobe White be the point guard and kind of just learn on the fly. And if things don't go well, then you obviously have to adjust, trade Zach, trade Kobe, one of those two guys. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of it just it'll be interesting to see just because those two guys just kind of are similar in terms of that just microwave get buckets roll but just not being able to do that much else so i don't like i don't want to rule out and say like kobe white can't be like a good nba point guard it doesn't seem he necessarily has like the just natural feel and like passing ability like I, I, i'm not gonna say it's bad uh i just it, it's not there like some other guys like like you, you look at this draft and like a lamello ball like the, i feel like the feel Basketball IQ as a point guard is quite isn't isn't there quite there for Kobe? Maybe he develops that. Maybe he gets those improves those point guard skills. But there, there definitely are big question marks there. Yeah, I do think just to like get back to the Zach Kobe thing. While their games do have a lot of similarities, I think Zach has at least proven himself as a starter in the league. Where yeah, Kobe obviously still super young. So and Zach is way more athletic, obviously. And then yeah, Zach is monster going to the basket, uh, which Kobe. You know, Kobe's the one thing Kobe can do that I think would really improve his game is finding a way to consistently get to the foul line. If he could just like learn some tricks uh, to draw some fouls, I think that that would really help him because this year he averaged two free throw attempts a game. Uh, He was playing 25 minutes a night. So, you know. I just would love to see him get easier buckets. The thing with Kobe is it looks great when it goes in because everything he attempts is so difficult. Yeah. That's something we also say about Zach a lot of, in a lot of ways. <laughs> but uh, Kobe's free throw rate, 16% this year. That's got to be way higher. I would love to see that at least at like 25% next year. If he could do that, that would be really impressive. His three-point rate, 47%. So he's jacking a three on almost half his possessions. Uh, I think that that's a good thing in a lot of ways because just the threat of his shooting should give him some gravity and should make things easier for everyone else around him. I definitely want the Bulls to experiment with Zach and Kobe on the floor together too, because why not? Uh, I think there's something to be said for two guys with shooting range that deep who are shifty with the ball in their hands, who have elite speed. So uh, I'm just not sure if like that's going to be a pairing that can like win you anything substantial long-term in the short term could be fun to watch, might as well do it. Uh, I think that Kobe, you know, he might ultimately be sort of a sixth man instant offense type of guy. I don't know if he's eventually going to turn into a person. You could just stick a point guard and say, all right, he's going to run our team for the next 10 years. Uh, but either way, I don't think it was a bad pick because 
Uh, I think when you take the 10,000 foot view of his career 10 years from now or whatever, he's going to be a productive player who scored a lot. Hopefully he improves his efficiency. Uh, and I think that as long as he's on the team, he's going to be a fan favorite. Yeah. Finishing inside, you mentioned is something he definitely has to get better at too. Like you might get it, that kind of plays in getting to the line. I think that might help just by getting a bit stronger. He only shot 53% uh, within three feet. That's not very good. 32% kind of in the, uh, from three to ten feet, which is not very good. I do wonder. I think there. I, I have to remember. I have to look this up. I couldn't remember look this up before. But I feel and obviously the Bulls don't, didn't want their guy shooting mid range shots. I feel like he started shooting a few more when he started playing better. Maybe being a little more lenient with that kind of stuff, letting him get in a rhythm. Obviously, we. I think we're both on the train where we're like we don't want guys just coming out and jacking bad mid range like pull ups and stuff like that. But Maybe being a little more lenient on that, letting him because I think he can hit those shots pretty well. Like at least his percentage wasn't that great this year, but I think if he did it a little more often to, to help himself get into a rhythm, sometimes I'd have no problem with that either. Just kind of diversifying that offense and not just being like besides the chucking threes. I think he could definitely diversify his offense a bit more. We mentioned the point guard stuff. It'll be very interesting. Like I said, it, it, the Bulls just have so many question marks right now. Nothing again. Nothing should be. Everything needs to be analyzed. Everything should be on the table. Uh, I'd be surprised if Kobe White or really any of these other guys are traded this year. But I mean, nothing. I, I, if Kobe White was in trade talks and for something good, like obviously I wouldn't say no. I don't think that'll actually happen. And all again, all signs are pointing towards the Bulls and this new front office going into next season with most most of the same core, if not all of it. Uh, maybe some uh, tinkering around the margins. Obviously, who knows? Things could change. But there's so much uncertainty with this. Uh, just with the kind of just the off season and just everything around the league that I just don't know if anybody will be out like looking to make any, those like huge groundbreaking moves and like free agency. There's really nothing that big. I mean, maybe since there's not, not the free agent class is bad. Maybe that will have teams looking at trades more. I'm not totally sure, but uh, it'll be interesting. I'm definitely looking forward to watching Kobe develop. I thank God that he did go off at the end of the year because otherwise the bolts were like just totally miserable and watchable. I do though kind of, again, worry that, Bulls, Bulls fans might be, you mentioned the false hope thing that maybe put raising expectations a little bit too much. So I do want to temper that a little bit. And I think you are as well. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm quite as low in term. I don't want to say you're low on Kobe White, but I don't know if I no, want to go like quite Kobe. as far as well. Yeah. Yeah. You do like Kobe. I, 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 I'm like trying to talk myself into him having a higher seeing than like just six, six man microwave guy. And I think he's still could. Like, I don't want to, I hate like capping guys ceilings at whatever, 20 years old, 21 years old after one year in the league wherever he's at, but uh, it'll, I think it should at least be fun. I mean, Kobe's a super likable guy. Uh, his play style is fun. He plays with some flair. He plays with a lot of emotion. So hopefully, I said, I don't. we don't think he's going to be necessarily be a savior type, but if he can at least be a good player, if he can develop himself into it, if he can be an asset for something down the line, or if he can actually just be good and help the Bulls become more respectable again, and besides the shit that we've been watching for a few years now, I would take it. And that would definitely make him a good pick at number seven. Um, I think that's basically all we got here. Do you have any other final thoughts? Uh, not really. All right. Uh, there actually, there, going back to the decision thing off Wendell and Kobe, uh, there was one other kind of humorous, uh, bit from the Windhorse thing. And it was about, uh, it was, it was obviously when we know all about the stories about D Rose, not recruiting and that this was brought up again and all that crap. But it also, it turned to, uh, Joakim Noah tried to take a lead in the recruiting, uh, and apparently he Joe Kim called LeBron and we know like Joe Kim and LeBron have like a 
long history. At that point, it was not that long yet, but that was after some stuff in, when LeBron was with the Cavs, and I think that was after like the I hate Cleveland crap, uh, the, the press, infamous Noah press conferences. So apparently Noah called LeBron to try to recruit him to the Bulls, and LeBron just never called him back. I thought that was kind of funny, kind of just like perfect because we know that they have that beef. But uh, yeah, so it, it was definitely kind of painful just reading all these anecdotes again about the Bulls, Bulls failure there. But I also found some some light in it between the Bulls being front office being embarrassing and the LeBron Noah beef going strong. And now Noah, Joakim Noah with the Clippers now. I don't know if he's going to play that much. Probably not. But i love to see Joakim Noah back in the NBA with the Clippers and maybe antagonizing LeBron, even if it's just from the bench. I know he'll talk shit to him. So I, I hope we see some of that. Dude, yeah. Let Noah get some minutes. That could get be one thing to get me excited about the playoffs coming back in the bubble uh, so yeah, Joakim Noah back on the Clippers. That's great news. We will probably talk about Joakim Noah a lot more as the NBA approaches, uh, it's return to play as well as other former bulls. Uh, because yeah, I mean, we got six months <laughs> without a bulls game. So I know. Yeah. We're going to need something. Uh, moving forward. Yeah. I said, moving forward, uh, we'll probably talk about the rest of the Bulls roster. We'll have to get an Otto Porter Jr. We'll talk about Chris Dunn. Uh, there was some news with like their uh, some of their cap dates, the qualifying offer, some of the just new stuff there. We'll talk about talk about the veterans, that young Tomas Sadaransky. We'll probably be talking about that maybe next week and the upcoming weeks. We'll see how we decide to do it. But we'll be talking about the rest of the Bulls roster after talking about these core guys the last couple of weeks. It's just been a lot of fun. And then, yeah, obviously after that, hopefully, again, hopefully the Bulls will fire Jim Boylan sometime soon so we can do an emergency pot about that and and uh, finally put Jim Boy- the Jim Boylan era to rest. But we're still waiting on it. So for now, we'll just keep going with these uh, with these player reviews and just the review of the Bulls roster as it is right now. I, I wrote a quick thing at Bloggable just to highlight this uh, about the Bulls roster is kind of where it stands. So go check that out, comment, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, for us, the cash considerations, obviously, shout out to – Blue Wire Pods, shout out to Bet Online, shout out to the great new podcast that we have with Greg Olson. That's TE1. Coming, we got our new our new soccer pod, soccer podcast, which is great. That soccer podcast is called Golden Gold. That is the first Blue Wire Studios original podcast. So if you like soccer, please go check that out. And for us, cash considerations, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your pods. Hit us up on Twitter. You guys know where to find us. Uh, we're on for our podcast. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your pods. Uh, so for us, Cash Considerations, Ishiables Podcast, it's been Jason and Ricky. We'll talk to you guys next time. Take it easy. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.